You're listening to episode number two of the Boys Built Better podcast. Today, we're talking with pediatrician Roy Benarak about the growth and development of boys. Welcome to the Boys Built Better podcast. I'm Jessica, a mom of three boys who is just trying to do things better. I'm coming to you from Fort Collins, Colorado, where I live with my husband, our boys, and a whole lot of four-legged friends. I'm here to share my thoughts on raising boys in today's world, find answers to your parenting questions, and chat with experts about building happy, healthy boys. Hey everyone, thanks for joining me. Today's guest is Dr. Roy Benarock, a practicing pediatrician in Roswell, Georgia, who I was lucky enough to have as my family's very first pediatrician. I first met Dr. Roy in the hospital after giving birth to my first son, and he was our pediatrician until we moved out of Georgia in 2011. When I came up for the idea for Boys Build Better last fall, I immediately knew that I wanted to interview him. He's got a great demeanor with his patients and offers a really unique perspective on parenting questions. And I'm excited for this interview. So let's cut on over. Hi, Dr. Benarok. How are you doing today? I'm doing fine. Thank you. Thank you, Jessica. It's a pleasure to be here. I am thrilled to have you on. But before we get started, I wanted to do a little icebreaker before I start asking you questions. I know that you are here as a pediatrician. We've got some great questions for you today, but I also know that you're a parent. So I would love if you have sort of one great tip or trick as a parent that you can share with all of us. <laughs> one great one. Just I only get one. Just okay, one. Well, one. you get lots throughout the rest of the episode. <laughs> I'm going to I'm going to choose one of my favorite quotes. This is a a six word quote from Theodore Roosevelt, and it is comparison is the thief of joy. That's it. That's my six word parenting advice. I love that. If you want to tie me down to just one thing to say, that would be it. Because so many of the things, well, first of all, parenting should be a joy, right? We, we should expect it to be fun. I, mean, I don't mean it's it's always fun. Of course, there are aggravating times, right? But but overall, we should be parents because it's it's joyful. It's kind of fun to raise those little monsters. And, and you should expect it to be fun. So, so I like that part of the quote. And then the first part, comparison is the thief of joy. Comparison, unfortunately, is something that we can't help do. We, we compare our kids to each other, and we compare our kids to the other kids in class, and we compare ourselves to other parents, right? And it's it's become more easy to do that because we have social media and we have Facebook and you see what other people are up to, or you see at least what they're bragging about. Maybe that's not <laughs> realistic. But anyway, that's what you see, right? And and we can't help but compare ourselves. And and I think that that is a thief of joy. I think that's made parenting more competitive and, and less enjoyable. So if you find yourself feeling down, try to remember that. Try to drop those comparisons and uh, enjoy your kids for who they are and be yourself. And don't try to be every mommy and every daddy that you that you read about um, on the internet. Wow. I think that might be a great life quote in general. <laughs> I think Thank you, Theodore than, Roosevelt. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I think that, that I might need to take that one uh, both as a parent and as a person. That's fabulous. Thank you. Sure. So I know you as our family's first pediatrician. You were actually the doctor who visited me in the hospital after I delivered my first son. But for listeners who may not be familiar with you, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? 
I'm a, I'm a general pediatrician in practice uh, near Atlanta in the North Atlanta suburbs. I'm also an assistant clinical professor of pediatrics with, with Emory, with Emory University. So I teach uh, mostly the residents there, occasionally the medical students, and sometimes the PA students as well over there at Emory. And uh, I have a fairly, let's say a fairly active social media presence with a blog and a Twitter and all those kinds of things. There's only so much you can do, right? So so I try to do some of that, and I do some uh, some writing and podcasting. And and, uh, and and that's me. And then I have three kids of my own. Woo, three kids. Uh, not 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 so young anymore, right? Two of them sort of college age, and one uh, will be there soon enough. So um, I'm at a little later stage uh, than than some parents, but uh, but uh, been through a lot together, and I think they've taught me a lot. Hey, that's another good. That's another good. Can I go back to the beginning of this when you asked for one tip? You have another uh, one. <laughs> yeah, I have another one. Your kids will teach you a lot. How's that? That was pretty I, I think good that's too. great. And I actually, <laughs> I think that you are an even better guest for being an experienced parent, because I think there's some parents out there that just want to know that we will make it through. <laughs> you will. Oh, you will. Yeah. Uh, and th- they're all different. Here's another thing that I want. Par- I've said this before in the office, too, that I want parents to know. Parenting is hard. <laughs> and sometimes yes. I think it's harder than, than being a pediatrician. You know, I give advice uh, <laughs> sometimes for me. To, and, and it's I'm talking about myself personally, being a parent. It, it really is hard and it's hard to know all the answers. And just when you think, you know, the answers, your kids grow and develop and the, the solutions you thought that were working don't don't work as much anymore. <laughs> so it's a it's a bit of a moving target. It's uh, it, it's very humbling as well. Well, and I think that's some of the things that we're going to cover today is how you kind of need to shift as a parent. I know Mm -hmm. you had mentioned that to me, and that sort of blew my mind when you mentioned that your parenting needs to change as your children get older. So I think that we'll cover that as we talk about different ages and maybe some parenting strategies to go along with it. So one of the reasons why I wanted to interview you, especially at the start of this podcast, is I think that it would be great to have a really good understanding about just the physical development of boys. So I wanted to start today by kind of talking about different ages and stages of development that a child goes through. And then we can also get into how you sort of parent through those different ages. But what would you consider to be sort of the first stage of childhood? Well, there's there's a lot of different ways to to cut this up. To to it, I, I'll let me say this from a pediatrician point of view first. I think as a pediatrician, the first stage is going to be baby. We like to use simple words, so we'll, we'll go with the baby. So we we divide our patients into babies, maybe babies, toddlers, then preschoolers, school age, and then uh, adolescents or teenagers. That's that's kind of a pediatrician way of looking at it. But over the years, other people have divided children a little bit differently. And if you if you remember back to sort of college psychology, you know, there's the Piaget had the stages. I don't know who remembers those, but the sensory motor and the pre-operational and concrete operational. So there's lots of different ways to to uh, divide up kids. Um, but I, I like I think a pediatrician's point of view, we're going to stick with baby, toddler, preschoolers, school age kids and, and then teenagers. That, that makes sense to me. All right. So then if we're talking about a baby, then what kind of milestones would you be parenting through as a baby? 
Wow. Well, you know, babies are born, uh, human babies are born absolutely helpless. They can't do much of anything. They, half of them don't even know how to, how to nurse right at first anyway. Right. So, mm-hmm. uh, they're, they're completely helpless, but they so quickly learn lots of new things. You know, at first they, they can focus only on what's right in front of them, but within a couple of months, they're, they're following objects with their eyes. Uh, by the time they're four month olds, they're sort of copying your expressions and smiling back at you, which is, which is really kind of amazing. Six month olds, you kind of picture them reaching for ab- for objects and you know kind of grabbing a, a, a rattle. You know that's a six month old baby. Uh, by nine month old, they're they're certainly sitting up on their own. Some of them just barely starting to crawl too at nine month olds, and nine month olds sort of become uh, talkers. Well, they're not they're not saying words yet, but they're practicing. They're kind of babbling and copying your sounds that you make. Uh, that that you make at them, so they're sort of just beginning to be talkers and just beginning to to explore the world around them. So that's, I guess, babyhood. I guess babyhood is going from absolutely helpless to starting. I would say to go to starting to explore. That kind of is what marks the the move from babyhood to toddlerhood. And I know that maybe at some of these stages, there's not so much specific to boys, but this podcast is dedicated to raising boys. <laughs> so are there any sort of specific elements to a baby boy that a parent might need to be aware of? So, you know, I think we need to set, I think we need to set the table for this j- just a little bit. And and there's, there's some controversy out there, you know, for, for a long time, uh, it was obvious that boys and girls were very, very different. And I, I think for a long time, I mean, well, forever. Now, in in the yeah, I mean, you know, it's obvious, right? But then in the, in the '70s and '80s, there was a there was a lot of research that seemed to reverse that 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 sort of was hinting that a lot of the difference between boys and girls was just in how we raise them. Okay, so they're they're born the same. The 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 blank slate or or tabula rasa, I guess, is one name for that. They're born uh, the same, but because we we raise them differently, they start to act differently. And that was really the thrust of a lot of the research from the '70s. 70s and 80s, and you'll you'll still read a lot about that about um, how parents raise babies differently. Um, in, in the um, sort of more recently with uh, MRI scans and functional sort of tests of brain functioning and and other high tech things, we're realizing that the, that boys and girls actually are different. That their fundamental brain architecture is different from the way, from from the time they're born. Not just the architecture, but the way the the um, the way that the cells of the brain communicate with each others with neurotransmitters. So the, there, there really is a fundamental difference. And, and, and there's both, right? So the, they're different, but we also raise them differently. And it's, it, it's hard. It's hard to separate those out, you know. But there's interesting research showing that, uh, for instance, we tend to talk more to girl babies. This has actually been observed in, in cultures all over the world, and uh, both men and, and women. We tend to talk to our girls more than we talk to our boys. Now, and we know that girls tend to attain uh, verbal milestones quicker than boys do, maybe in part because we talk to them more, or maybe in part because they get good at it better. It's kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy. You know, we talked to right. We talked to them, and they they kind of babble back, so it's more enjoyable. And uh, parents tend to be more physical with boys. You know, boys have uh, have, have a uh, are quicker to have good spatial relationships and to be good at using their their bodies to do things like throw a ball or or kick a ball or catch and things like that. And uh, in fact, their brains are wired to do that a little bit better. They have more interconnectivity between the motor centers and the visual centers, so they're they're good at doing this. 
but we also practice it more for them, right? So for your little slugger, you're more likely to throw a ball. And for your little girl, we're more likely to to read more books and, and talk more and talk about things. So I think it's a little bit artificial to say that it's all one or the other. You know, they're, they're, they are built differently. They have different skills, or at least different strengths and weaknesses, I should say. Uh, but but we also culturally raise them a little bit differently, and uh, I think it's good to be mindful of that. When your when your little boy is young, uh, he can still benefit from all of that reading, and when he gets a little bit older, he can really benefit from talking about feelings. Maybe that 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 could feel a little bit awkward because as a culture, we don't really value that as much with our boys. But it's still a good idea. I think that's that's great advice. I didn't know about those sort of statistics about how we just tend to raise boys more physically and, and speak to more to girls. So I guess that would be a great parenting tip to, to be mindful of, of speaking to your boy. I, I know that I'm doing that with some of the older kids and sort of developing being, uh, being able to be emotional is something that mm -hmm. maybe boys need to be taught to do. That's right. That's right. We sort of value that in girls expressing their emotions and telling stories. But I think culturally with boys, we're more likely to, you know, boys just kind of tough it out, right? Don't let your feelings show. We, we you know, a, a boy who cries is a crybaby. A girl who cries is, well, a girl, right? And that's right. not fair. That's that's not fair at all. Um, I want to make a, one other thing clear, though. I, I was talking about that uh, you can show that girl and boy brains are different, but but I don't want to employ that they're. I don't. I don't want to say that they're completely different. There there are sure. lots of individual variations too, um, and and some boys. Well, it's not fair to say they're girl. I, I just mean that all of these things occur along a spectrum, right? Sure. And uh, there's much more individual variation than there is variation fixed between the sexes. So I certainly don't want to oversimplify this and imply that, you know, all girls are good at talking and all girls are good at expressing their emotions and all boys are, are good at sports. That's not fair and that's not true. Right. I, I know that from personal experience. <laughs> from yep, three yep. Boys. Yeah, uh, that's right. Well, and that may transition us into the next stage of development, which you mentioned would be toddlerhood. So can you toddlers. talk us through toddlerhood? I love toddlers. Toddlers are little, you know what they are? They're little scientists, aren't they? They're little scientists first discovering the world because they don't know anything. I mean, they don't know about cause and effect, and they don't know that when you drop an object, it falls, right? Mm -hmm. And 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 they and they they're figuring it all out. They're watching closely, and they they love their little experiments, don't they? They like to push something over, and then you set it up again. And then they push it over again, right? That's an experiment. Like any good scientist, they have to do it over and over again. And they learn from these experiences. And I think uh, parents should should enjoy it. You know, do these things with them, and you know, enjoy those kind of throwing games and fixing things and turning things over and exploring things. So part of parenting at this age is to is to encourage exploration and scientific thinking. <laughs> it seems a little ridiculous, but but it's true. Uh, let's see another big part of uh, of toddlerhood is is language, right? Language. Yes. So babies don't talk, but toddlers are learning words and it's super powerful. I mean, speaking is is a lot of what makes us human. I mean, it's it's just a fundamental skill to uh, so so we can get along with each other, so we can teach each other, right? But uh, the toddlers need to learn it. And the best way to do that, it's it's almost too simple, isn't it? The the advice is almost too simple. It's talk to your toddler. That's it. Talk. More talking. If a toddler hears more words, they're more likely to develop 
good language skills at, at a younger age. It's just the number of words, of interactive words, I mean. Not not words on a television or a tape recorder or something. Those are not interactive. The television doesn't know what your toddler is doing, right? So when the toddler, when the television says, you know, I don't know, touch your head or something, it doesn't know that the toddler did it. But it's you, typically a parent, responding to what a toddler is doing giving the words, right? That's how that's how the toddlers learn to talk. Great. What about preschoolers? Can you talk us through preschool age? So preschoolers are uh, let's say approximately 3, 3 to 5 year olds, right? And the big job they're having, they they've sort of they're, they're scientists, they figured out how the world works, but they're ready for the next step. And the big thing that 3 to 5 year olds are are working on are, are interpersonal relationships. Now, it's not just about them, and it's not just about them and mommy. Now it's about starting to interact with other people, friends and peers, and even strangers, and, and how you interact with them. Um, many go to uh, daycare programs or preschools, right? That's not required. Kids can do very, very well without going to a formal preschool, but um, but they do need time with, with peers, and their parents need time with peers too. It's it's important that parents not be, you know, just shut down. You know, you know, uh, it's typically a mom or or or, or a stay at home dad. Um, you know, they need to be spending time with with other people their age too. So play groups or formal daycares, things like that, are are really very very important at this age. And any tips on how to parent a preschool? How do you have to shift when you have a par- when you're parenting a preschooler? I think this is an age where. Although it can be frustrating and it can slow you down <laughs> and it can it can be aggravating, it's time to let your kid start doing some things on on her own. You know, uh, getting dressed and pouring milk in the bowl and doing things that uh, <laughs> may be very much more messy, right? And you may think, oh, I'm just going to get her dressed; it's quicker. And and you're right, it it is quicker. But you really have to start letting kids do things on their own, which means sometimes they won't do it right. You know, they're going to maybe they're now three-year-olds can't usually button buttons. But let's go ahead to say a five-year-old who's starting to be able to to do up some buttons. Maybe they're going to get out of sync, right? You know how little kids will look with the the buttons are just, out, you know, they're, they're not done right, you know. Um, so, you know, you say, you did a good job. And it's sometimes you just. You just leave them that way. You know, if the shirt doesn't match the pants, if they have two different socks, it's close enough. I'm proud of you, buddy. You dressed yourself today and, uh, and, and, and let it go. I love that advice. <laughs> I do. I do have a preschooler who likes to dress himself. And sometimes <laughs> yes. it's backwards. Sometimes it's inside out. Sometimes go. it's pajamas. But if it's dressed, <laughs> I say we're set. We're all good. <laughs> they, they, you know, they develop their own sense of style, right? And, yes. you know, it's okay. It's okay. Sometimes it's a superhero outfit, <laughs> but it's still dressed. <laughs> well, you know what? If I, if I could wear a cape to work, maybe I would wear a cape too. Why, why not? Terrible. You know, we should, we should they, all they, be able to wear our superhero outfits. <laughs> So now we're Why moving not? out of preschool or uh, a preschooler into school-aged children. Mm-hmm. So school- tell us about school-aged children. School-aged children's uh, the, the world is starting to change for them in that the the sphere of their lives is moving for the first time a little bit away from their immediate family, right? When you just think about the time, uh, they're still sleeping at home. So that's eight or 10 hours. And there's plenty of time after school. But for the first time, they're going to be sending, spending a you know a pretty big chunk of their day away from, away from their family. 
So that can be a little bit scary for some of these kids, but it's an important part. It's an important part of parents kind of letting go. And it means that your kids will be learning things that you didn't teach them, right? They're going to be learning things from the teacher, sure, but they're also going to be learning things from the other kids. Uh-oh. Oh, this is yes. when peer, yeah, this is so peer pressure starts. And uh, this is when you might hear about the, the mean girls. Or this is when, you know, if, if this person didn't get invited to that birthday party, oh, then you can't uh, then you can't be friends with me anymore. So these sorts of relationships are important and they're a big part. And don't underestimate how big they are either. When you know, when your when your sons and, and his best friend have a uh, have a breakup, so to speak, that can, that can be a big deal. And uh, you're going to want to be there to help him through it. It's not a romantic relationship, of course, at this age, but it's still a very important relationship. And uh, it's a fact of life that relationships end. So this is a time to practice beginnings and ends and how to cultivate friendships. And maybe every once in a while, how to end a friendship too. And anything specific to boys at this age, or maybe even boys in school. Now, obviously, all boys are different and they handle the pressures of school differently. But anything sort of generalized about boys and helping them in these early school years? You know, I do see a lot of boys starting to develop, I would say, an you know, an, how am I going to put it? Like an unhealthy preoccupation with, with competition, with wanting to win things, with wanting to win games and wanting to get A's and wanting to be top in the class and these sorts of things. And it's certainly not unique to boys, but I think we, we, we accidentally or subconsciously maybe encourage it, right? We want our, we want our boys to be, well, winners and and we need to demonstrate we need to be a good role model on how to be uh, how to be a good loser yourself and how to expect not to always win and why it's fun to play even if you don't win even if you don't expect to win right kids uh, they can have a very hard time dealing with the frustration of losing and um, you know the best way to help them through that is is to model it really you know you can't really sit them down and tell them, okay, when you lose, this is what you should do. Well, well, you can tell them. That's that's one form of communication. But I think maybe maybe more powerful is to live that way yourself. They should see you occasionally get frustrated or occasionally uh, lose a game and, and then see how you handle it. And it's okay to say, ah, I feel bad. I didn't, I didn't win. I didn't get that contract at work or, or I didn't, um, I, I don't know the, uh, the, you know, the neighbor's house does look better than our house, but you know what, when you think about it, you know, I can always paint the house again later. There'll always be another contract at work. You can be frustrated, but I'll just have to try again next time. So it's, it's a simple lesson, but they need to hear those words and they need to see with your body language that this is what life's all about. That's a great tip. And I, I totally understand that, that competition level. I can, I can speak to us dealing with that here where you really can get upset about yeah, not yeah. winning at something. Is it, is it my imagination? I, I do think I hear more concerns about that with, with boys. I'm not really sure if that's one of these nature versus nurture things or, or yeah, I'm not sure, but you don't, you don't hear it as big a concern with girls. Hmm. And what about parenting through, in addition to those tips, right, about maybe set, modeling behaviors that you feel are important for your children at this age, this um, uh, elementary school age, how do you shift as a parent from preschool, toddler, these younger children to now growing children? Boy, it's hard, isn't it? It's hard. I, I think in part 
part of the difficulty is that you get more and more comfortable. You get well, you get better at it, and your child's five, and by the time he's been five for a year, you're you're thinking to yourself, yeah, I'm pretty good at this five-year-old stuff, isn't it? And it's tempting to keep your child mentally at that same age because the next age and the next stage is a, is a little bit scary for all of us. I guess we just have to keep in mind that our kids are growing and changing, and uh, they'll, they'll always be a next year and sort of a, a new challenge, won't there be? Yes. <laughs> There will, there will. <laughs> yeah. Just yeah. when you think you got it all figured out, somebody grows up a little bit. That's right. Just when you think you know what you're doing, right? <laughs> right. Well, and I want to move on, and I definitely want to talk about puberty because I think that's really where we start to get into things that are very different for boys, <laughs> right? But is there anything else to say well, about developmental periods before we get into talking about puberty? Well, you know, you you brought up sexual development and 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 brought it up as we get close to to puberty, but I think we should probably back up a little bit. We hadn't talked about sexual development yet, but but in fact, sexual development does start even in infancy. I mean, it's a part of early childhood, and it's probably a mistake for parents to wait until their kids are are teenagers and then we're going to have the talk as All if right. on this date, this is when we start talking about sex. Because if you do that, it'll be awkward and weird. You'll be weirded out. Your kids will be weirded out. And and um, I think it's a good idea to to think about how how younger kids do have some sexual feelings. They don't. It, it's not erotic. It's not romantic. It's different. But it is part of part of sexual development. So, um, uh, you know, just as as a for instance, you know, young children here. Let's even go back to preschoolers or early early school age children. It is normal. It is normal for them to have a certain well sex play. They they do these things. Uh, kids of the same age will will play doctor, right? And they'll look at each other's parts, right? Because they're curious. You know, it, it's not an erotic fascination, and they're they're not. Um, it, it's it's very different, I think, from for for teenagers. But little kids are are curious. That's an important word. And uh, you don't want the the bodies to be seen as dirty things or as evil things. And you wouldn't want to overreact. Well, and I do think that it's great to be aware that these things might happen as a parent. And it's, it's certainly great to hear from a doctor that that's expected and normal and, and kids are curious. I remember having to talk to my oldest when he was in third grade about sex. And I had to talk with him about sex because he, it came to be that he knew about it. He, he yes. was giggling. We were in the front seat of the car. We were driving to soccer practice. I remember <laughs> this because I was yes. completely shocked. You're in the car. <laughs> and he was looking at a form. He had to fill out a form and the form said sex. And he said, look, mom, you know, this form says sex. And he started to giggle. And so we did have a conversation about what sex was and, and why you would have sex. And I was probably freaking out in my head. But I also thought at that point, I really remember this as a parent. I thought, I want to have more control over this than I clearly do. He knows information that was given to him by kids in school, and I want to make sure he's getting the right message. So, that's, that's very good. Yes. You're entitled to have your own feelings about this and your own morals. And as a family, you can make decisions and you can help your child make decisions about uh, what's right and wrong. You really want them to get the just like you said, from you, right? Not from the other kids or, or from whatever they imagine they saw, you know, on the internet. So you, you, it's much better for you to have those, those, uh, avenues open for, for clear communication. 
And I guess it is good to kind of consider it while your kids are in this school age because it's inevitable that at some point they're going to hear something. So you may need to be prepared as a parent Mm -hmm. or as a family with how you're going to handle it. Well, let's move on now since we've kind of gotten through elementary school. Well, I mean, not necessarily elementary school, but I do (laughs) want to start talking about puberty. I, as a as a mom, uh, I've never gone through male puberty, right? So I was um, <laughs> surprised that I went to my son's checkup when he was 11, and the paper that you get from the doctor every year had all of these talking points, um, and even about the physical changes of the body. I really had no idea. So I would love to talk about kind of the changes that a boy goes through through puberty and what ages those approximately happen i know that that it can differ right of course right right there's a lot of variability here and maybe that's one of the most important messages that uh, boys can be very healthy and normal and have different uh you know experience puberty at different ages okay uh that what's considered normal puberty for boys would occur between age 9 and 14 Okay, 9 to 14 is normal, Uh, maybe even a little past 14, maybe even a little earlier than 9. But let's say 9 to 14, anywhere in there is normal. And the first sign of puberty in a boy is that the testicles get bigger, enlarging testicles. That'll happen at at an average of 11 and a half, but normal anytime from 9 to 14. And then quickly after that, the the penis starts to grow uh, longer and larger. They get that change in the voice, right? They develop a lower voice. Um, They'll start developing uh, erections, uh, erections at let's say inappropriate times, every boy has lived through that and you're just standing in front of the class and, you know, someone gets curious and these happen, right? Without any erotic thoughts at all. That's just the body kind of practicing, I guess. Uh, Some boys uh, will start to experience wet dreams. Um, Some boys will discover masturbation. Now, even younger boys will will touch themselves for pleasure, but this is when orgasms can actually occur. And uh, those can be scary. Those can be thrilling for little boys. And um, I shouldn't say little boys. We're, We're in to puberty. Let's not call them that anymore. This can be this can be a, a, a interesting new development in the life of a boy. Um, the messaging there from parents really shouldn't be that that's bad or evil. I mean, we know objectively that masturbation is is not associated with a less satisfying sex life or any bad outcomes like that. But again, like we were talking earlier, you can still talk about it in a culturally appropriate way. Okay. You say, okay, look, if that's something you want to do, you, you have to do that in the bathroom. You have to do that in your bedroom. You have to close the door. This isn't something that you do at school. This wouldn't be something that you would do. Um, um, oh, I don't know. You could say at camp, I guess, but you want to kind of clarify that this is a private sort of thing. Sure. Um, if that, if that's how you feel. And I think that that's entirely appropriate. And of course, as you talk to your sons about these changes, really stress how variable they are because the boys who are, let's say 13 or 14, who have not yet experienced puberty, some of them feel really awkward. The other boys have gotten so much bigger, right? They have their growth spurt and they're broader and stronger and bigger. And, uh, these, these boys who are still very pre-pubertal, they, they look like, they look like little boys and they can feel awkward about that. So they need to understand that this is, this is normal for a 13 year old boy too. And what about emotionally? This is one of the big questions I want to have answered because I have a child who is 11 and a half and I feel like sometimes there may be hormones controlling his emotions that I have never noticed before or <laughs> it changes from day to day. So am I making that up or is that a real thing? <laughs> well, it, it's interesting. If you, if you look at surveys 
of actual mental illness. Okay, we're talking about diagnosable anxiety disorder or temper dysregulation to the point of bipolar disorder. That's actually not more common among adolescents. There is no peak of actual mental illness, but their behavior and their outlook certainly becomes more volatile and more irritable. And there's a lot of things that that kind of factor into that. Some of them are really simple. Sometimes they're just not getting enough sleep. You know, uh, they, they think they can stay up later and later. And if you're not getting enough sleep, that's sure going to make you irritable, right? They're living in a far more socially interconnected and complicated world. So you may not realize when your son is, is angry and, and expresses that at you, they may actually be angry about something that happened at school earlier that day. You're not going to see that from really young kids. They live more in the moment. But teens and preteens, they're mulling that over. They're mulling over that funny look their friend gave them, or they're mulling over why they get this funny feeling in their stomach when they look at uh, a, a person that they maybe have found attractive. You know, they've never felt attraction before, except maybe for mom or dad. So, um, uh, that's a very weird feeling, right? And uh, especially boys, maybe we haven't always encouraged them to express their feelings in words, right? So hopefully you've you've set the stage, you've you've kept discussions about sexual topics, and and not just you know not just difficult topics, just every topic, you know, you've kept uh, a good good communication open. And if if your boy is upset and needs some time, you say something simple. You say, "I can see you're upset. Let me give you some time on your own." You don't have to settle the problem right there. But later on, you can circle back and you can say, son, I, I could see after school you were really kind of mad. You seemed even kind of mad at me. So I knew you needed a minute to think about it. But, you know, what's been on your mind? What what happened today? You know, it's perfectly OK to circle back like that. Well, I think that's a very powerful answer because I think that there may be that hormonal piece. But something else that I hadn't thought of that you just mentioned is that they have more capacity for sort of mental emotions as well, right? So things aren't just coming and going like they have when they were younger. And, and that that's powerful for me. I haven't I haven't thought about that before. So that, there's a lot. Great. There's yeah, there, there, there's a lot going on. There really is. And how do you parent boys through puberty or through this age where they are struggling for independence, but they're having more uh, emotions that they need to be supported through. This seems like a very tumultuous time to parent a child. <laughs> it is difficult, isn't it? And you can have good days and bad days, right? And the kids will take a few steps forward and then and then a few steps back. You know, they, they want to be independent. They want you to just, for instance, maybe they don't want you to drop them off right at the birthday party anymore. They want you to drop them off a block away and they walk up, you know, so they're not going in with their with their mom and dad. I guess to a certain point you indulge them because they have to figure these things out on their own. But at the same time, you want to express that you're there for them. They're not always going to want to talk to you. You know, they're not always going to answer those difficult questions about you know, what happened in school today. What was with that big fight you had with your friend? But if you're there, if you're there and you show with body language and with your with uh, the way you answer questions that you're really listening and you're really interested, then then when they are ready to talk, you'll you'll be there. You'll be there. Right. To take advantage of those times. You mentioned how, how something came up while you were driving to soccer. Right. It's amazing. I think how often boys are especially willing to have those conversations from the passenger seat or, or even the back seat. You know, st standing there and staring at them and looking them in the face can be a little bit intimidating, right? But they're more willing to talk to the back of your head. 
So, so let them do that. Let them do that. Let them find that comfortable way to talk to you. I love that. Is there a way you can get them to talk if they're not talking? <laughs> <laughs> well, gosh, I mean, there's certain things. No, I mean, there's certain things you just can't, you know, when they're younger, you can't make them poop. And yeah. then when they get a little older, you can't make them sleep, right? You can never make them eat. And I, and I guess you can't make them talk either. Uh, and, and some boys and some girls are just reticent to, to have, you know, big in-depth conversations. I think it's not so much, how do you get them to talk? It's just making sure they know that you're there to listen when they are ready to talk. Very good. How about we continue the, the sexual development discussion now that we're into puberty, where sort of the curiosity changes into sort of maybe a more adult type of sexuality? Yes. You, you, you know, many, many kids are going to experience their first crush when they're, well, you know, I'm trying to think back what sixth grade, seventh grade, something like that. So we're talking 10, 11 years old, right? You start to get that funny feeling around certain people. And, um, that's the sort of the, I guess we can think of it as a sexual awakening. That's when you, you genuinely feel attracted to people. And, uh, many kids will, will experience that. Then the, the feelings can be a little bit hard to deal with. Um, and I think it's a good idea to, to model and to talk about perhaps your first crush when you're child's reaching that age uh, so that they know that that's a, that's a normal thing and they don't just have to figure it out on their own. And how do you, as a parent, start this conversation if it doesn't come up naturally in the car on the way to soccer? How would you, you know, I don't know if I have a one, I don't know if I have one answer there. Um, I think it's often good to talk about your own experiences. Like when you met once met this girl, you can work it in from watching a movie or reading a book or something like that. You know, if you, if it happens and it happens all the time and, and sort of like what we used to see is those after school specials, right? Remember those, but they're all about budding relationships. So if you happen to see a movie about it, you might say something, Hey, what do you think about what happened when, when, uh, when whatever, when that kid kept asking Veronica, all those questions, why was Veronica so annoyed with him? And why did he keep going and asking him her more questions, you know, was that, was that cool? What was he all about? And I think sometimes you can start conversations from experiences that you've, you've seen or that happened to other people. Maybe that feels less threatening than talking about what's going on in your own head, but it's, but it's sort of a window, isn't it? Well, and hopefully I know that my personal approach has been to take those moments, you know, in third grade, when I remember talking about it with my oldest but to start the conversation early so that the mm -hmm. the communication is already there. I mean, my goal with my own children is that it they know that they can come to me with questions. I'd rather they ask me questions because yep. then I can control the answer instead exactly. of going to someone else. Well, great. Thank you so much, Dr. Benrock. I think that's a great, we just went through birth to Woo. teen. Uh, so thank you for just kind of giving us a great overview on the growth and development of boys. Before you go, I wanted to ask you just if you had to give some parents some general health advice, are there any times you would recommend somebody seek out their physician? Now, I know that this is pretty general, but but we always have questions as moms is when should I call moms and dads? When should I call? So when should we call our pediatrician? Well, certainly the bottom line is if you're worried, 
if you're really worried, I'm, I'm not going to be able to sleep tonight because I'm so worried that something is really wrong with my kid, just pick up the phone, talk, contact your pediatrician. That's what we're here for, right? Uh, I, you know, I could have been a dermatologist. I could have been an ophthalmologist. <laughs> I, was, I was near the top of my med school class, right? I could have been anything. But I chose to be a pediatrician, which means that I know I'm going to get some phone calls from some worried parents. And that's okay. That's what we're here for, right? So whatever else is going, if you're just worried, just just give us a call. Give us a call. It's okay. It's okay to be worried, you know. Um, now uh, we'd rather you call when when the when it's still daylight, right? We're we're maybe a little bit less patient at three a.m. I have to admit, I I might come across as more grumpy, but uh, but that's okay. Honestly, if if you're worried, you you can call anytime. You really can. Thanks again, Dr. Benrock. This was fabulous. For listeners who want to find you on social media or find out more about you, how can they hook up with you? Sure, sure. Come come see my blog. It's pediatricinsider.com. We've had about, uh, what, 4 million hits since inception. So that's pretty good. That's pretty big, right? Uh, I've got a Twitter handle, at pedinsider.com. Uh, that's my handle. Or if you use my name, uh, you'll find me if you type that into Twitter, Roy Benarock, B-E-N-A-R-O-C-H. And uh, my latest projects, uh, for those of you who want to see or hear more of me, right, go to thegreatcourses.com and type in my name. My name. I've made three, uh, three sets of courses, three long courses called Medical School for Everyone. And one of them is all pediatrics. One is emergency medicine and one is more general medicine. And they're for anybody. That's why they're called that medical school for everyone and they're all set up as fun medical mystery cases and you don't need a medical background uh but you'll help solve them on your own so i'm really proud of those they're, they've done well and they were a whole lot of fun to write and record so um stop over there and and uh, check them out great and we will put all of those links in today's show notes so that uh, people Groovy. can find you i appreciate it it's been fun yes thank you so much for coming on and maybe we'll have you again one day I'd love it. I'd love it. Looking forward to it. Thanks again. Thank you. Thanks for joining me today. You can find the show notes on www.boysbuiltbetter.com. And if you like what you heard, please subscribe to the podcast and leave us a review to help other people find it. See you next time.